Welcome to the Locust Valley Chapel Sermon Podcast. Our mission as a church is to help you discover, develop, and demonstrate life with Jesus. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, locustvalleychapel.org. We pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and minister to you in a powerful way as you listen to Sunday's message. My name is Carlos Ramirez. I serve here as associate pastor of worship and students, and it's such a joy and a privilege to get to um, preach to you today from God's word, get to open up the scriptures together. I'm definitely what's known as a rookie preacher. I don't do this often, (laughs) and so I'm a little bit nervous, but we had, man, such a fun time at the 9 a.m. that I just feel ready to go for the 11 o'clock. Whole new service, ready. In fact, we're going we're gonna to do this later on in the service, but we're going to start with a practice exercise right now. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're going to have fun in church. Excellent. That's right. There's a Puerto Rican in the pulpit. We're going to have fun. We're going to have fun. Yes. I'm so excited, you guys. Well, we're in a series uh, in the book of Acts. Today we're looking at Acts chapter 8, and my title for this sermon is called Suffering Leads to Scattering. And a quick disclaimer, this is what happens in Acts chapter 8. They suffer, and then the Spirit scatters them. I want you to know, if you're in this room, uh, it's okay for you to just be suffering. Suffering is something that the Lord uh, does that is, that is good for us, that the Holy Spirit empowers us for, and it's okay in and of itself. We don't need suffering to do anything. We can just suffer and, and be with Jesus, and that's okay too. But what I want us to see this morning is that what happens in Acts chapter 8 is that because they suffered, they were sent. And that's, that should be also normative for us too. But I also just want to say, like, if you're suffering this morning, that's okay. And we're with you. And that's the body of Christ, you know. So how is it going? We are eight chapters in to the book of Acts. And this was the original mission, Acts 1.8. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So how is it going? We're eight chapters in. How are they doing with the mission? Acts 8.1 reads, And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So as we open, Acts 8.1 is very different than Acts 1.8. We start off with the mission that Jesus gave them, but in Acts 8.1, Saul approved of Stephen's killing, and he is now persecuting the church in Jerusalem. So who did Saul approve of killing? Well, 
it was Stephen and Philip. And Pastor Joe preached on Acts 7 last Sunday. And in Acts chapter 6 is when we're actually first introduced to Stephen. And I believe that this has a huge significance for us today. So before we move on, who were Stephen and Philip? Well, they were next generation leaders. They were uh, diverse. They were Hellenistic Jews. That means that they spoke Greek and had Greek culture. So they were different. As we remember from last week in Acts 6, they were full of the spirit and wisdom. And they performed signs and wonders. So Saul approved of the murder of Stephen and a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And that got me begging. I started to wonder, why was that? Why did Stephen's death cause a great persecution in the church of Jerusalem? Well, really quickly, I want to unpack for us what Stephen's speech, some of the implications of Stephen's speech, and why it's so important that we understand these implications. Uh, Because in Acts Acts chapter 8, we're now introduced to a new people group. And the implications of Stephen's speech actually is good news to the Samaritan people group. So this is what Stephen was saying. He was implying that people no longer have to become Jews or go to the temple in order to meet with God. He was saying that that is what we used to do, but we no longer have to do that. We can come and have access to Jesus just through the cross. We, can, we don't have to go to the temple for worship anymore. Jesus said this in John chapter 4 when he was with the Samaritan woman. Jesus said to the woman, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You don't have to go somewhere to worship Jesus. You can worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. That's where that comes from. And so those who stoned Stephen were not willing to share their God. In essence, they were not willing to change. And because they were not willing to change, they stood in direct opposition to God and his plans. You know, this happens to me a lot. I love reading scripture. I love diving into into God's word. But I always want to view myself as the good character in the story. I never tend to view myself as the bad guy. Um, But I think it's a good practice for us to see ourselves in all of scripture and every single character. So I want to ask us this morning, in what ways are you not willing to change for the mission? In what ways are we like the Sanhedrin, like the religious leaders of that day who were trying to stop the mission of activity of God in the world? In what ways are we not willing to change for the mission? I'm going to go through a series of reflection questions for us this morning, and I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to kindly convict us today, uh, because I think it's good. Stephen was saying that the temple and all of their Jewish customs were no longer necessary to follow Jesus and accept his salvation. Therefore, this is the good news for the Samaritans, Stephen had to get rid of Jewish temple worship as the only way to come to God. There was nothing wrong with the temple itself. Stephen worshiped in the temple. The apostles worshiped in Solomon's uh, portico right there in the temple. But cross-culturally, it was excess baggage if loaded onto the simple gospel of repentance for sin in faith in Jesus. It was excess baggage. It was an extra weight. Another question for us this morning. What is the excess baggage 
that the church has created that prevents people from coming to Jesus. To the Sanhedrin, such a thing would sound like blasphemy, and it was. Stephen had established that there was a fundamental, not just a superficial difference between the old order of the Jewish temple and the new order of Christianity. It was old order versus new order, and no compromise was possible. All people groups, not just the Jews, could now have direct access to God through Jesus the Messiah. Gentiles could now be saved and remain Gentiles. Samaritans could now be saved and remain Samaritans. Stephen had made explicit what had always been implicit. And by doing it, he had polarized the opinions. From that point on, high-level persecution was inevitable. That kind of reminds me of what we're going through today in our culture, right? Lots of polarization, lots of politics, lots of culture wars. But here what we see is that a chain reaction occurred. The more the Jews thought about the implications of, Stephen mes- of Stephen's message, the more threatened they became. They just powered up. They said, we're not going to have this. We're not going to change. Things are like this for a reason. And so we keep reading in verse 2 that there were some godly men who buried Stephen. They mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. But those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And again, asking these questions. Why did a great persecution break out? And so that led me to this next question. What is persecution? And what isn't persecution? Because I think there's a lot of, you remember the children's story of when you were growing up as a child of the boy who cried wolf? I think there's a lot of Christians in the West and America who are crying persecution. And that's not really the case. And so what is truly persecution? And this morning, I want to present to you that persecution is actually the simple idea of sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. Jesus is our suffering Savior. If we're going to be one with him, we must suffer as he suffered. There's a depth of union that, cr- that comes only through suffering with Christ. And the Apostle Paul wrote about this later on in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, and to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He says in Romans 5, 3 through 5, not only that, but we can rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I love this passage of scripture so much because I remember a time very recently when I was going through uh, a time of suffering uh, right before we moved here to uh, the Lehigh Valley. We were still in Florida suffering with family strife, suffering with uh, emotional wounds, suffering with... uh, spiritual abuse that had occurred in in my family and I was just a mess I was not growing in my faith I was ridden with anxiety I was fearful all the time on top of that a pandemic 
and everything else. And I was at an Alliance Peacemaking Conference in Orlando, and my partner shared this verse with me, and I just remember just feeling all the freedom that comes with following Jesus, the freedom of the Holy Spirit, that we can rejoice in our sufferings. We can count it all joy because suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And I was just reminded of God's love that is poured out through the Holy Spirit. He loves you so much and he loves me and he loves you because you are his child and we can suffer with Jesus. And it's a good kind of suffering. The Holy Spirit's fullness prepares us for suffering. God sometimes allows us to go through dark times so that he can fill us afresh. Crisis increases our dependence on him. God uses persecution and suffering to advance the gospel. And God used this persecution to fulfill his great commission. This dispersion, this scattering resulted in widespread evangelism. The scattering of Christians met the the scattering of the good news of Jesus because they preached the word wherever they went. I love this next translation because it's just so readable, so applicable for us today. This is what it says in the message, Acts 8.4. They were forced to leave home base. The followers of Jesus all became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the message about Jesus. Here comes my next interactive segment for the morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a missionary. You are a missionary. That's right. The followers of Jesus all became missionaries. Note, neither Stephen, who we read about earlier, or Philip, who we're about to read about now, none of them were apostles. They were deacons. And the role of a deacon in the early church was to serve. We heard about this in Acts chapter 6. They were called upon by the apostles to serve, to wait on tables. They were just regular guys who loved to serve. And God used them to perform miracles, signs, and wonders amongst the people. And that's why we have our mission statement. That's why we have uh, demonstrate life with Jesus. So that we as a church can, can serve and experience the power and the activity of our missional God. That's why it's important for us to live into that mission. To demonstrate life with Jesus and serving on a team. And I'm not saying that by you signing up to serving on a team that there's automatically going to be miracles, signs, and wonders. But there could, Right? There could, like what's, there's nothing stopped. Like if the Lord wants to do it, he can do it. And he can use you to accomplish his purposes. And so I want to share a quick story about Wednesday. Um, so I serve here. I do student ministry. I do worship. Um, I, don't, I don't do kids ministry. I'm just telling you right now, like this is not my thing. But the Lord has given me a huge burden for kids. I love kids. And um, I just thought it would be so fun on Wednesday night. Why don't we just merge the student group with the kids? And it was actually Tammy's idea. And so we did a party in in the kids' room. And it was a fall party. Uh, Kids dressed up. And it was just so fun. And this is just a quick story. Here's a picture from our time on Wednesday night. Uh, This is uh, Tammy and the Demeckis down there. And look, all the kids. There was a ton of kids out there on Wednesday night, and Tammy is sharing the gospel with a pumpkin. It was beautiful. They carved a little cross into the pumpkin. 
They put a little candle inside the pumpkin to show how uh, when we have Jesus, we actually have the light of the world. And she used the, you know how the pumpkin has like seeds and different stuff in it? I, I don't really do pumpkin carving, so I don't know much about pumpkins. But uh, there's like seeds and it's all gooey. She used that as a metaphor for the soul and how we have all this gunk. And then when we meet Jesus, he actually like steps into our lives and helps us with all of our stuff that's in our soul. And it was great. It was very applicable to the kids who were in that room. Some of them who are unchurched, who just came because their parents dropped them off. So that is the kind of stuff that the body of Christ gets to do when we're on mission together. So I told you guys earlier to tell your neighbor that you're a missionary, but you're not just a missionary. I want you to tell your neighbor, you are an evangelist. Tell your neighbor, go. You are an evangelist. Yes. So moving on in our story, we're in Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and of many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So it says that Philip went, he went, he obeyed God and went to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed the Messiah there. So I just want to ask us, what is Samaria or who were the Samaritans? Um, We hear this often in Christian circles that the Samaritans did not get along with the Jews. Um, The Samaritans were neither Jew nor Gentile. They were hybrids in both race and religion because they intermarried with the Assyrians when they were captured in 722 B.C., So when they were captured by Assyria, they started intermarrying with the Assyrians. And so that created a kind of syncretistic faith. They worshiped Israel's God. They observed the law of Moses. They were looking forward to a Messiah, but they worshiped on a different mountain. They worshiped on Mount Gerizim, which was a different temple. Uh, John 4, 9 says Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. In every sense of the way, the Samaritans were heretics to the Jews. And there was hostility that lasted a thousand years. So, what is our Samaria? John Stumbo, who's the president of the Christian Missionary Alliance, he says that our Samaria are people who live close to us but are not like us. I just want to remind you of Acts 1.8, that Jesus said that we would be his witnesses, that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be his witnesses in Judea and Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I think that there's a lot of times, especially us being in the alliance, we want to immediately go to the ends of the earth, right? We want to go overseas. We want to serve the Lord in missions out there. But we forget that Jesus has called us to, to reach Jerusalem, to reach Judea, and to reach Samaria and the ends of the earth. We're called to do those, all of those. It's not an or, but it's an and. And so I want to ask us this morning, who is our Samaria? Uh, What is our Samaria? Uh, People who are close to us in proximity, but are not like us culturally. So who would that be for Locust Valley Chapel? Who would that be for you personally? Who is close to you in proximity, right? 
whether it be geographic proximity or maybe at work or maybe a friend or a neighbor who's close to you, but is not like you culturally or is different from you culturally. And uh, my mind immediately goes to Center City, Allentown. Um, reason being is because the U.S. Census Bureau reports that Allentown, PA, is 53% Hispanic or Latino. And with us being in a suburb south of Allentown, uh, I was thinking, man, Samaria. Who is our Samaria? Our Samaria could be people that are close to us, but different than us. And just by going to Allentown a couple times now, uh, I can tell that a huge majority of the people there from the Caribbean or the Puerto Rican, Dominican, or Cuban. And Pastor Joe recently purchased a Know Your Community report for Locust Valley Chapel. And I want to show you guys a picture of, from that report, that blue dot is Locust Valley Chapel. That's us. I know that you might live 15 or 30 minutes in a different spot, but this is us, like the body of Christ. That's our blue dot. Um, the red signifies a 15-minute drive time. And you want to know how many people live within a 15-minute drive time? There's over 100,000 people that live within 15 minutes of this church of this local expression of the body of Christ. There's a, over a hundred, and it's growing. Pastor Joe tells me all the time, it's so funny. He's like, you know, millennials are moving into the Lehigh Valley like crazy. And I'm like, yes, that's right. Like, that's awesome. I'm not a millennial, but yeah, we got to reach millennials, <laughs> you know. Um, we have, uh, this is our Jerusalem, our Judea, and, and I want to talk about our Samaria, people who live close to us, but who are not like us. And so 12% of people who live in this red section are, are Hispanic. 12% of 100,000 people is about 12,000 people. So there's about 12,000 Hispanics that live in this area. And so how are we going to reach our Samaria? And so this is just a fun, practical thing that, uh, that I was thinking about for Locust Valley Chapel, for you. How do we reach people who are close to us but not like us? Well, we got to eat what they eat. And I love food, and I know that you love food too. And so I want to invite you to check out uh, different kinds of food. I, on, the, on the screen, you're going to see a picture of an arepa. And an arepa is a cross between a tortilla and a pancake. And it's kind of like, like a hamburger, hot dog combination. It's filled with meat, beans, plantains, mozzarella cheese, and melted cheese on the bottom. And my favorite arepa place is La Bicicleta in Center City, Allentown, right by the PPL Center. It's a 14-minute drive from my house. So go get yourself an arepa, learn about other cultures, see what they eat, learn and enjoy, and tell them that Pastor Carlos sent you. <laughs> so let's keep reading here in Acts chapter 8. So there was great joy in that city. Uh, when Philip went down to Samaria. So we're going to keep moving on to Acts chapter 8, verses 18 through 20. And here we're introduced to a new character in the story. His name is Simon. And let's just read what it says, 18 through 20 of Acts chapter 8. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. 
verse 21. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having, for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And so here we see kind of a little bit of a diversion, right? Philip is doing this amazing ministry in Samaria. Philip's ministry is in word and in deed. He's preaching Christ to the Samaritans, but he's also performing many signs and wonders. And in the midst of this, we're introduced to Simon the sorcerer or Simon the magician, who was someone who called himself a god. Um, in my study for this sermon, uh, he's often called Simon the sorcerer or Simon the superstitious. And Peter rebukes him because initially he does come to faith. He comes to faith, but it was not, um, some scholars believe that it wasn't sincere and that Peter rebukes him for thinking that God's gift can be bought. And I just want to remind us this morning that, the, that God's gift of salvation cannot be bought. And I think in, in our context, more so what we struggle with as Americans in the West is thinking that we can earn our salvation. And this morning, I want to declare boldly that we cannot earn our salvation. There's no amount of good works that you can do that can measure to the sacrifice that Jesus paid for on the cross. On the cross, he died for our sins, and he rose again so that we could have new life. We can't earn that. We're always, um, you know, busy thinking about work, and work has consumed our lives. Um, but this morning, I just want to declare boldly that we cannot earn uh, salvation. Salvation is a gift from God. Amen. Ever since that day, uh, the attempt to turn the spiritual into the commercial, to traffic in the things of God, and especially to purchase ecclesiastical office has been termed simony. Simon's essential error and the ongoing error of all human religion is that he truly did not want God for himself. Instead, he merely desired to use God to achieve some other goal. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen this in like Christian bookstores and stuff, but you'll see, you know, three biblical steps to blank or how to do blank God's way. Um, it's, it's very, this is something that is very pervasive in our culture. This is a proven way to sell books and to fill pews. But I believe that what God is calling us to is to a different form of deep discipleship that does not uh, use uh, commerce to, you know, to... To sell the things of God. This is a quote from N.T. Wright, who's a, uh, a biblical scholar. He says, any attempt to bring the spirit under human control is a nonsense and to be rejected outright. The spirit is the spirit of the sovereign God who blows where he wants and how he wants. Neither Peter, nor John, nor Philip, nor any human being then, since or now, can do other than be open to what the spirit wants ready to be blown along by the mighty rushing wind. And I love that because the Holy Spirit is depicted as this, this mighty rushing wind. We can't control what the Spirit of God wants to do. We can't put him in a box and sell him. We cannot be consumeristic about our faith. Can you be honest about the ways that you try to control God and how you have been shaped by a faith that's primarily interested in using God rather than knowing him? 
Um, Pastor Joe and I often talk about Dr. Rob Reimer. He's like one of our favorite authors. Pastor Joe's actually taking classes with him. And we, I hear him say this all the time, that the, there's a difference between seeking God for his hands, seeking God for his blessings, and seeking God for his face. I hope and pray that we could be a church that seeks God's face and not just his hands. So we keep reading and we transition now into the story. There's a lot here in Acts chapter 8. So we keep reading in verses 26 through 29, now with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So it says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told him, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. And I want to turn our attention to Isaiah 53. And I'm going to start a little bit early. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 8. This is what it says. This is what the Ethiopian eunuch was reading in context. Surely he took up our pain. And bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jumping back to Acts chapter 8, verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about? Is it himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and him, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So what I want us to see here is the boldness of Philip. Philip, an evangelist, a missionary, empowered by the Spirit, full of the Spirit of God, is listening to the voice of God. Notice I have highlighted here, the Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Notice that he didn't say, go to the Ethiopian who was on the chariot. He simply said, go to that chariot. And so because Philip heard the voice of God 
And because Philip obeyed God's voice, then they were able to have this wonderful spiritual conversation around Isaiah 53 and Jesus as our suffering servant. You know, the, what I want us to see from the story this morning is that you might be one of two people. You might identify yourself as the Ethiopian eunuch. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you've been learning about Jesus, you've been learning about God, you've been reading the Bible, but you haven't maybe made that decision to follow Jesus yet. I just want to, uh, to preach the good news of Jesus to you this morning, that he, Jesus, is the one who was pierced for our transgressions. He was the one who was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Sin is a sickness. It's a sickness that needs healing. And I know that there's so much sin, so much sickness out in the world today, and Jesus is our healer. And that's the good news of Jesus. That's the good news that the Ethiopian believed. But maybe you're in here this morning, and you are, like me, trying to l learn more about evangelism and trying to, you know, uh, see how I could have spiritual conversations with my neighbors, with my people who live near me, but also who are different than me, my Samaria. And this morning, I just want to remind us of this great resource that we have here at Locust Valley Chapel. It's a very practical application point. These are our bless cards, and they're sitting in the lobby. Uh, they're at the Connect Center. They're at the tables in the lobby. And the bless card is really cool because it's a discipleship and evangelism framework that takes all the scariness of evangelism out of the question. For me, this has been, ever since I came to LVC, this has been so awesome because BLESS stands for be in prayer, listen with compassion, eat together, share, serve in love, and share a story. This is the BLESS plan. And so the card asks how I plan to bless others and raise my outreach temperature, and it gives you like a goal with like a deadline, right? And so we've already started to use this with people that we've been meeting at the coffee shop that my wife works at. Uh, we've been praying for, for her coworkers who don't know Jesus. And this is a great tool for you uh, to use. That way we don't make evangelism this big scary thing that seems impossible to do. I'm not, I'm not an evangelist. You are. We want to equip you with the tools on how to share Jesus. One more thing about, um, about the bless cards. I love the framework because especially with young people or someone who is unchurched, right? Let's say they've never been to a church before. They are like 10 times more likely to come have a meal at your house than they are to step into the doors of this church simply because of comfort level, because of where we are generationally and as a culture. And so I really want to point to this resource and harp on it because I love it. Be in prayer. Listen with compassion. Eat together. Serve in love and share a story. And on the front of the card, it has your frank personal list. Who are my friends? Who are my relatives, my acquaintances, my neighbors, and my coworkers that don't know Jesus? So that you can have, you can be praying for them by name. So what I want us to take away this morning from everything that we've heard is that um, evangelism is a basic part of the Christian lifestyle. You are a missionary. 
you are an evangelist, and we're all called to participate with God in evangelism. We're called to be his witnesses and to testify of what we've seen and heard. Philip, even though the command was weird, go stand next to that chariot. <laughs> That's so weird. Lord, I don't want to go stand next to that chariot. That chariot smells and it's moving. Like, I don't want to get run over by the chariot. What are the, uh, would we be willing as a church to open up ourselves to the voice of God and to be obedient to his still small voice? It was through Philip's obedience that the Lord opened the door into a spiritual conversation. Spirit-led boldness begins with the decision to be obedient to the call of witness. And that call is from Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So I want to close this morning with a time of prayer. I want to pray for you, and we're going to respond together in song. And so why don't we close our eyes, bow our heads, and just ask the Lord to reveal to us this morning what he wants us to do next. Lord, this is daunting. It's evangelism, my entire life growing up has been really hard. And I understand that there might be some pain, some wounds, some baggage with that. But Lord, you've called us to be your witnesses. You've changed my life. I used to be this way without Jesus, but now my life is different with Jesus. My life is so much better with Jesus. Jesus has changed my life completely, Lord. And Lord, would you just help us as a church to catch your heart for evangelism? Would you help us, Lord, to, would you remove the heavy yoke in Jesus' name? Lord, would you just make it easy for us? God, would you remove the heaviness, that excess baggage, Lord, of, of, of this being sort of like our work? It's not our work. It's only the Spirit's uh, work. Lord, so it's your spirit at work in us, your power at work in us, Lord. So would you help us to be your witnesses? Help us to um, be your witnesses, Lord, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. Lord, even tonight, uh, as there's going to be so many kids and parents walking around the neighborhood, Lord, with candy. Lord, would you just uh, do something in us? Change us, Lord. Change us so that we could be your witnesses. Um, Lord, I, we just, I just want to see people come to know you, Jesus, because you're amazing. So, Lord, would you, put, would you stoke that fire in us right now, Lord, as we respond with the song? Lord Jesus, we want to be your witnesses. So would you set us on fire, and would you remind us, Lord, of the evangelists and the missionaries that we truly are? In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Locust Valley Chapel Sermon Podcast. We trust that the Holy Spirit spoke to you and ministered to you during this time. I want to invite you to join us for one of our weekend services. We worship God together on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. in Coopersburg, Pennsylvania. You can find more information at our website, locustvalleychapel.org, as well as our YouTube and Facebook page. Thank you for joining us.